Welcome back to another episode of Tales from Corporate, hosted by Maria and Elise. Each week, we bring you our tales and perspectives on trending topics around work in corporate America, because life can often truly be stranger than fiction. Be sure to share Tales from Corporate. Listen, download, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This week's tale is about F you pay me. And we're going to talk about one of our favorite topics of why we all go to work, why we do work. Besides the fact that it's fulfilling, we go to work to get paid. (laughs) We want to thank you for listening. Uh, We got our first week numbers in and pretty awesome. We're so excited and we're glad that you're excited because you all have been downloading, subscribing, and sharing the podcast. Uh, to your friends and family and probably co-workers, which is awesome. So how are the different many ways that we get paid? And we're going to talk about that in this tale and hope you leave with some new perspectives here. I remember my first paycheck. I'll never forget it. I was working for a program that they call, I hope they still have it in New York, called the Summer Youth Program. And I was 14. It was my first paid job beside babysitting where I had to go to an actual office. And it was an interesting place where I worked. But I remember I had to learn how to punch a clock. And I I, <laughs> I got in trouble there. But it was like they realized how wet behind the ears I was. I would punch in in the morning. I would get there super early, way before my start time. And then I would get breakfast for a bunch of people that worked there. And I would come back. And my boss was like, you're not supposed to punch in and then leave to go to get breakfast for everybody. You're supposed to punch in at your start time. And then you can go in and get breakfast for everybody before you punch in. So that was funny, but I was so young. But anyway, I remember my first paycheck. I said, who is FICA? I want my money back. And I didn't realize that FICA was Social Security. 14 years old, but I was like, that's a lot of my money that's gone. And, you know, I just thought, oh, I get paid uh, $6 an hour or $4 an hour, and it should all come to me after a 40-hour week. But uh, first jobs, where you get started, and then you get to college, and I worked a million jobs in college, and, uh, oh, my God, the amount of money, the little amount of money they pay college students is really deplorable in a college town, but you hustle, 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 and that's kind of why you end up working multiple jobs, because you're just trying to get a decent wage or salary. And now, being where we are now in our professional careers, making money, you get into packages. It's a totally different thing. Uh, You start out in the beginning, and most likely you are uh, not exempt from overtime, meaning that you punch a clock. And it's different. Managers have to approve any time over a certain amount. And a lot of corporations these days don't like to pay people a full 40-hour work week because that means that you have to pay them benefits for full-time employment. So a lot of people make sure to manage you just so you don't creak over and get to the 40. You might get to 38, 39, 37, but not 40. What are your thoughts, Maria, on compensation and work in the workplace? Oh, man, you're bringing it back. So... (laughs) Of course, I have many thoughts, but first paycheck that I had, I was probably around the same age, but I remember getting that paper check in my hand. And later I 
you know, forget that feeling because of direct deposit and all this kind of thing, right? They're all electronic. And it's so funny how we believe the digits on our screen, but we've never actually sat there and counted all the dollars that have come in with each paycheck, but maybe, maybe one or two of you have, but usually we don't do that. We just go off of faith of what's on the screen. But back in my day, I had the paper check. And I remember thinking, this is so official. I'm on my way to adulthood, even though I'm 14, 15. You know, before that, I had gotten paid, but it was always in cash for for odd jobs here and there. And I thought to myself, this is the beginning of me making a lot of money. I'm always going to save, you know. What concept did I have of paying bills? I felt like I'm going to be able to save all of this money the way I saved, you know, Christmas money for my grandmother. And this is so precious. And I'm just going to make so much more in the future. But look, I, I did I do schoolwork for free. Look, this job actually paid me. This is pretty cool. And then I look over to the taxes and I thought, well, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to pay so much in taxes, but that's going to be doing a lot of good, right? Where the taxes are going. I know it's almost like I'm doing a social good by working. And I know the taxes are going someplace that I would want them to go. This is, this is, this is me as a kid. Very, very naive. We're going to touch on later. Um, that, you felt that, that way about taxes that at tax that money. age? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was an odd duck, you know, like sitting there listening to PBS all the time. And, it, you know, it was sponsored television. And I was only restricted to watch PBS until almost college. Like my cable was snuck by my friends' houses and all of this kind of thing. But yeah, th- when I was really young, all I got to see was uh, PBS. And so this notion, my money is part of what pays for public goods was imprinted on me early and then revised hardcore later. Then as I got older, I felt really resentful in terms of how much taxes was taken out and even what I was paid because I would compare myself to other you know, kiddos in in college and say, man, you know, I'm working three jobs at once and they're just, you know, getting their parents to cover it. So I began to scrutinize all of a sudden that paycheck in my hand wasn't as precious. It was one, going to many bills and two, never felt quite enough. And I, I know that's a feeling that a lot of us still share about our paychecks. Do you remember yours? Because I remember where I used to bank because I had a bank account already, had a little savings account. And now it's like, is it time for a checking? And my mom was like, checking accounts are, you don't have bills yet. You don't need a checking account. (laughs) But I remember my mom, my uncle and my aunt, they were like, you need to always check your paycheck to see if you got the right hours. So just something you just forget about because of direct deposit but Mm -hmm. like are you making sure that it accurately reflects your work or your compensation for that week that was a lesson to learn there but I remember I had a bank account in the neighborhood it was a old like dime federal savings or something it became an HSBC and I was just so proud to cash my check but what I didn't know was a lot of people I was 14 at the time, so what do you expect? A lot of people are unbanked, but some people never learned the lesson about 
being banked versus unbanked. So people actually pay fees to cash their check, even as grown adults, because they either don't know how to manage a bank account, a checking or savings account, or they're on check systems. And for those that don't know, check systems is this, it's them and early warning. Early warning and check systems are two companies that they deal in data, but uh, they also record data about uh, issues tied to identity and whether or not you may have mismanaged your banking affairs somewhere else. So it keeps a record. And if you are on any of those systems, you, you can fight to get off of them. But it's almost like the, the credit bureaus, but for bank accounts, people don't know that. So you may actually not have the privilege, if you will, of opening a bank account at many large institutions because you're on those systems. It's like a kind of like getting your driving privileges taken away for a little bit. So people then end up falling into the unbanked world. And as you can see now, I think most people know there's lots of, with the digital economy, there's lots of products now and companies that are literally targeting the unbanked. They realize the untapped potential there as far as customers and dollars. And they're coming up with all types of products to help you build your credit and build your banking history. But I think what I, I want to say there in that tale is that I would never pay someone to cash my check. It's like the principle, you worked very hard for your money, and unless you had to, why do that when you can go into a bank and open an account and do business that way and pay people out of your bank account that way without incurring more fees? So just something to think about there. Well, but, it's interesting um, you should say that because there's a, there is a very real business of cycle of poverty. And... I mentioned a couple moments ago that for me, I was so looking forward to saving that money so that I can watch it grow. Well, there's a, a contingent of the population who are more well-to-do. And um, like you, I grew up in a working class family, but we did okay for ourselves such that I never felt like I was wanting for anything, right? But that is a privilege. There was a, a social experiment basically what it was, I think it was around jelly beans. And it was kids who were asked by the social scientists, here's a set of jelly beans. You'll get a chance to eat them, but don't touch them right now until I come back. And it was a test of instant gratification. And what they learned was there's plenty of people who say, well, some people just lack instant, they lack the discipline to be able to save because they're just, and, and they'll fill in the blank. They aren't, they don't have class or they're, they're not as intelligent and all of this, but really there's a lot in terms of upbringing on whether or not the, the child or the adult will immediately dip into their jelly beans, AKA your paycheck, right? And at that time in my life, in my mother's house, I didn't need to cash that check at 14 in order to help her pay the bills. So did that mean that I lacked instant gratification or, or that I had so much discipline? Absolutely not. That carries forward into touching what you're going to say about being banked versus unbanked. The cycle of poverty of people, you're absolutely right. Cashing your check at check cashing places where they charge you. So already before you got to spend your paycheck on your bills, you've already given part of your after 
uh, tax take-home pay away just to get the money. And being banked is a privilege that oftentimes we forget we have. And you don't have to already be hit up for your hard-earned cash just to get your cash. You have a point there, Maria, because it's like in New York City, you will see the line on paydays. Those cash money services businesses, we're in the wrong business, but they process, let's see, your local utility bills, right? So your electric, gas, they'll pay for you there. You can also do Western Union and MoneyGram and send money out of the country. Um, You can also pay your cable bill there as well, which is not a utility, but these days with digital service, it might as well feel like one. It might as well be considered one. And your paycheck. So you get paid and then you cash out and you pay a fee to them and then you start paying more service fees to pay all these other bills. And there's a distrust in the community about how to move money. I think the younger generation, they grew up in a digital age. And I think that many of them know is Cash App. They know Zelle. They know Venmo. So they're not as afraid as afraid of money movement, but there are people who still, <laughs> there are people who are adults and still drive around to make bill payments in person. They don't trust paying bills through their bank accounts. So even if they have them, I think what you're hitting on, Maria, is there is a deep distrust in that cycle. I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg, but many people are intimidated to actually go into a bank branch and open an account they're afraid of how they're going to be treated some people their parents have already ruined their credit before they've started and they don't realize it and the first attempt is when they go to open a bank account like a college savings or college checking and they find out that wait a second mom you were doing what in my name and it's it's tied to the whole credit score your your worthiness in society whether or not you can get lending it's a big it's a big snowball there just that one act of I got paid today and now I need to figure out what to do with my money. But it's interesting. We can definitely explore that more. But I would like to go into the hourly employee versus the non-hourly employee. What that means for some of our users, right? Mm -hmm. We've been talking about we've been talking about money going out. Let's let's talk about money coming. Money coming in. in. Yeah. (laughs) That's just the that is just the cycle of it all. You get it, and then it leaves you just as quick. But go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no I, I love where you were going. Let, let's talk about tales of the many ways that one gets paid. You talked about checking your hours. I forgot that I did that because we were not exempt, right? We were not salaried employees at the ripe old ages at probably may or may not even be legal to work at now in some of these major cities like um, New York. But until when I started my current job, I was non-exempt, which means I did get 40 hours a week and then I got paid overtime for every hour I worked in addition to that 40 hours and then double time on holidays. And that was a very different life from being a salaried or an exempt employee where it doesn't matter how many hours you work, you still receive the same pay. But there's certain privileges that come with both. And so there's a little bit of, at certain firms, a little bit of class divide 
when you're exempt versus non-exempt. So speak on it because I know. Oh, the difference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Non-exempt, your manager would have to approve any overtime you do. Non-exempt employees also oftentimes, unfortunately, are encouraged to work extra hours and the boss will sometimes not want to compensate you for that. So it's off the clock, but they want you to work because God forbid they have to submit and sign off to that. And that goes up to their manager. And then it's questions about why are you blowing up the budget? And they act like, you know, those two hours is going to kill them. But there are all kinds of incentives sometimes in organizations for managers to control costs. So it comes back to you as why are they trying to work me so hard and not pay me and just sign off on it? But it's because they're also trying to protect their incentive that they may receive as compensation. So it does trickle down from the top like a pyramid. Exempt employees, exempt from overtime, means that they're salaried. Sometimes good and bad because you can work 60 hours a week. You're not going to get paid hourly for that. But the hope or the gist is, is that your annual compensation package it offsets that, those times when you do have to work a lot. And for some people, as regularly, I work more than 40 hours. So they don't they don't have to uh, worry about claiming overtime. And many times, non-exempt employees, not all, they don't have to actually punch a, a, a timesheet. If there's a timekeeping or record-keeping system, it's automated because you don't really punch that clock, except for when you have to submit in vacation or, or PTO, personal time off. But then you learn as you go up the ladder beside your hourly or salaried take-home income, you then have certain corporations give much better vacation packages as far as weeks. Some places have four weeks off. Some just have the standard two, some are three. And then you also have some employers who offer really excellent maternity benefits. One of my aunts was working at Avon And they had a really, really, I think one of the best in industry maternity leave packages. I think you were able to take almost a year off if you had a child and you didn't have to worry about income and whether or not your job was there. But then that changed. Someone had issues with that. And you have paternity leave now, right? I see a lot more people, my colleagues, taking paternity leave. I have one of my developers is taking leave for the entire month of August for his brand new baby, which I think is awesome. What do you think, Maria? Well, it's about time. (laughs) Because it takes two to make the cute little baby. And when baby comes, there's a lot of change. And both parents being able to support one another in this new endeavor of parenthood and get this little baby adjusted into, you know, the schedule, the home, their lives. Europe has understood this for decades. And the conversation is very different around the benefit of parental leave. What I'm, just like you, what I'm appreciating that I'm seeing is that men are taking the the paternity leave. And it's Many of them, I don't think, are frivolous about it. There are some that are very thoughtful. That they'll say, you know, I 
we'll take that the part of it in the beginning and then the next part a couple weeks down so that I, I'm giving my team a little bit of relief, but I'm also going to go back in and make sure that I'm I'm there for, for my partner. There's also leave for adoption now too. I don't know if you are, are familiar with or if they have this at your, they probably do at your organization where it's not just the business of making a child that changes your life, bringing a, a new child into your home changes your life as well. And so adoption leave, I think for many different places is another benefit. So we're, th- we're talking about the tales of compensation and <laughs> F you pay me, but I, we wa- I wanted to talk about, uh, for two beats, if I may, about total comp, total compensation. So people often talk to me about, I get paid X and they're usually talking about their salary. And I don't know, somewhere along the way, I think it was when, you know, interviewing for a new job. I started to think about, oh my God, if I get the same salary, but not all of the benefits and perks and all the rest of it of my current job, it's not actually going to make me whole. I'm not actually going to be paid in, in totality the same. So I sat down and I thought about the benefits, as you mentioned, the vacation, however many weeks whether the extent to which I had a 401k, some firms match. I I know mine matched $2 for every dollar you put in. And by the way, we'll talk more about this in another episode, but if you have a 401k and your company matches and you are not taking advantage of that, I will say to you what my father said to me, my first paycheck out of college, which was you will be leaving money on the table if you are not participating in your 401k plan. But if your firm has a pension, that's also a benefit. You know, that's money that they're putting into your retirement account for you on top of your salary. That's compensation for the work that you are doing for them. Uh, Discounts. Some firms offer discounts on a variety of things. That's money that if you have to pay out of pocket, you would have to pay your after-tax dollars for. Bonuses. So for executives, executives don't get millions of dollars in salary necessarily. It's their total compensation that makes up that eye-popping number that you often see. So, and that's just a short list. That's not an exhaustive list. You know... I do want to share with the listeners, I learned a horrible, well, not horrible, but I learned a sad lesson. And I say sad because I had to eat sad lunches from home for this critical, the critical mistake of I misplaced trust. I never had this issue before, but I do want to share this as it's, it's close to me. I never had an employer lie to me before in the sense of what I would actually be earning. Never had that happen, but I want to share with you all some signs of, in this tale, of what not to do. So when I was leaving one employer, of course, interviewing to go to the next one, standard, I said, hey, to the HR department, would you like copies of my current pay stubs so you would know exactly what I'm earning? I volunteered them. 
So you know exactly what I'm making as far as total compensation and my package, my benefits. This way you can match them, right? Because that was the discussion in our, our many rounds of interviews. And once they let me know that they wanted to take me on, this is the package. I expected the same, if not better. Okay, Maria? Well, be wary of companies <laughs> that the expense account is that you don't get a card. That was a flag. It's not just old school and outdated. It's problematic because that means that you as the employee have to front cost and then wait for the HR department or accounts payable to reimburse you two to three months later. Okay, so that's all floating out there on your either your debit or your credit account. That should have been a warning because other firms I came from, I got a company card. What ended up happening was I started the job, left my that employer and moved to this new one. And then I get my first paycheck and I said, well, we have a problem here. But now it was like too late for me to, to back out. And my pay was way off. And I actually never had to do that before. I had to have a, a whole sit down with HR to talk about what happened here. And now I had left one place and what was I going to do? And if an employer is dishonest with you about your salary and compensation, run for the hills. Most of us have rent to pay. So you go, okay, I'll suck it up and deal with it, but don't stay. It's never going to get better. That tale was me getting out and getting a better job I did or better engagement assignment. But if it starts off bad about money from the beginning, it's no good. And that's what I wanted to share with you all because some people will be dishonest with you about what your compensation is to be. And I want to state this, Maria, in the talks, it was I was very clear <laughs> and they were very clear, but that's not what it looked like on my paycheck. And I was like, where's the rest of my money? Is there a second account? <laughs> so the third account, is it, so it's a mistake. Yeah, no. So be wary of anyone who misrepresents what you'll be earning. If they're coy, if they're shy, and it's not written out in black and white, think three times before accepting that engagement. That is a powerful tale. Like That is the reddest of red flags if anything. And I, I love that you mentioned the expense account also. That kind of reminds me of tale of my, one of my first jobs where there was literally just to lighten it up two beats because I'm still a little traumatized by that story you told just now. It's, no, it's real. Um, the lunches I had to brown bag were traumatizing. And you know what I realized? This is also part of that tale, that engagement. I realized that as a company, this is so sad. So if you see this, Run for the hills. I had never been at a company before where the culture was, this is another flag. Every floor, I'd never seen that many refrigerators in the kitchen at an employer before. Mm -hmm. Like full, full-fledged uh, freezer refrigerators. So there'd be three and four on each in each break room. And then lunch break would happen. And sometimes I work through lunch because I'm salaried. I would see people pack into these lunch rooms, these break rooms, and they would not go out. Guess when they would, did go out, Maria? They went out when it was payday. That was the only time that the break room was ever empty was on a payday. 
So most people were really, really struggling to be employed. I mean, to earn money to eat out. The people you did see eat out frequently were either extremely young and newly employed there or executives who could afford to. And they went to the Jonathan Club to eat. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you would think as executives, you would realize, like, wait a second, our whole entire workforce is so broke that they are all brown bagging it to lunch. But no. But please go ahead, Maria. I, you're traumatized. I didn't mean to traumatize you. But I'm sure that there are listeners out there that can relate to that. And I said, oh, my God. And I, I think I picked up on the trend like week three, week four, because I'm not really big on hanging out in the break room. I like to get out and get fresh air or I'm just plugging through. I'm not taking lunch or I'm eating at my desk and I'm prepping for another meeting. But lunch. <laughs> While while you're while you're coming back out of that time of your life because I <laughs> that's wild. So one of my first jobs, there was literally the perk, and it was part of the total compensation package. And the HR would mention it while they're making the offer. You got free lunch five days a week. And when I say free lunch, there was a cafeteria. This is in New York in Midtown. In the cafeteria of the job, there were literally made-to-order dishes. There was a pasta stand. There was a pizza stand. There was a, a fresh, uh, fresh salad stand, and the whole night. And so, all you had to do is go up there, swipe your badge, and you got an entree, a drink, and I think a, a little dessert every day. And it was covered. Now, what I didn't realize until I was a little older, because I was, what, 20 at the time? And I thought, this is amazing. This is the best place ever. <laughs> you know, like green flags everywhere. But then I realized that lunch wasn't free. It was just a way to reallocate our payment. So the other option could have been, and at the time, this is back in the day, but at the time, it was the equivalent of about 50 bucks a week. So it bought a decent lunch, but I could have had that money. And let's say I was wanting to save for a house. They decided how to spend that bit of my compensation for me by giving me the free lunch. And so one thing I wanted to point out in this conversation is sometimes there's hidden ways that one, we don't think of it as ways that the firm is spending your money for you. Like what could potentially be your take-home pay is being allocated differently. And two, there are people who seem to make a lot of money, but when you look at how many hours they work and then you compensate and then you calculate their per hour salary, per hour fee, they're actually not making a ton of money per hour. And so the saying, there are no free lunches, that's how I <laughs> learned about the business of no free lunches. It's it, it, it actually was part of what we earned, but they branded it as being free and that free lunch. And that's how 
That's how they get you. That's a part of what it's very interesting. People, we can be so simple sometimes. Well, you know, talking about that, out here in, in uh, California, some people like to do a free breakfast on Fridays. <laughs> Because you're you're such a sucker if you go for that. My company is so great, but that's because they want you to come in. They don't want you to work remotely on Friday. So the people go, it's so great. They give us free breakfast. Yeah, on Friday, not on a Wednesday, not on a Tuesday, not on a Thursday. And can we just talk about those employers that everything is serviced and within house? So like they'll do your dry cleaning for you. There's laundry service. There's the gym, there's showers, there's yoga, wellness, meditation. There's even free snacks and food. You will not starve. Bonus of cash. And then there's babysitting on site on campus. Yeah, because you're going to give your whole life to that company. You will bleed whatever those companies' colors are. Everything you will do, you probably have... (laughs) You'll probably procreate or get married to or date people at work. Wow. <laughs> you're, you're spending like, what, 14, 16 hours easy at the employer. That's why those services are there, because you can't get to the dry cleaners during standard time. You can't get to the bank during standard time. You can't get to the training studio, uh, the fitness studio in time. That's why all that's on campus, because they own you. And they will even, when we get into that, eavesdrop on your uh, communications on your phone because you're always there. You're on the Wi-Fi, they're in your phone. But uh, I want to talk a little bit, speaking of those big, large campuses and the tech, the tech companies really ran with that model big time. Can we just talk about relating it to benefits? Peter Thiel in the news the last two weeks with the Roth IRA that he was able to build up about $5 billion tax-free, according to ProPublica, this expose they had. And it's very interesting. And people are, like, really angry about it. People are very angry about taxes and the fact that he was able to do that. Now, I will get particular. I don't hate a player. I don't necessarily know him personally. I do not agree with some of his political stances and the initiatives that he's funded. However, you could point the finger saying that things are broken here, Maria, but no one's talked about the fact that what was broken is the fact that he was able to place, and notice I'm saying place, his uh, stock options or his compensation within the vehicle. You see? So if something is worth Point zero 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 of a, a cent, one penny, and then it multiplies. That was more the issue. Your Roth is going to restrict you a 6000 a year that you can put in there. <laughs> and even your 401ks. Maria, I think they have a, like a 19000 20000 depending on age, uh, maximum a year that you can put in. I think what's great as far as compensation, and I think it's wonderful, and I don't know if it's right now because of where I'm working, I've noticed a change in that many employers are now automatically enrolling their employees in these packages, especially if they have the benefit of matching after a certain period of time. And if the employee doesn't match, some people are actually putting that match there for them because there are people who are in the org who are on payroll and they don't make enough money to contribute. I've seen the numbers at a few orgs and it's actually astonishing. And it literally coincides with rank within the org. The employees 
who tend to be non-exempt from overtime, they often don't make enough to contribute to their retirement plans at the job. They most often benefit from when the employer does it on their behalf, i.e. a pension or contributing the match on their behalf, regardless of whether or not the employee matches. Exempt employees tend to do much better in proportion to non-exempt employees as far as maxing out benefits. There are so many people who depend on the FSAs and the HSAs. And I think what was nice in COVID with the government and the, the passing of a few of these acts, they allowed you to port your FSA for the first time. So if you get laid off from that employer or let go, you're able to support what you contribute. It's a lot of money. You have flexible spending account and your health yes. care your spending. Health mm-hmm. account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of money that you're able to take with you to the next job because you're out of it. If you don't spend it, you lose it. And I think you're limited to roll over, what, 500 to the next uh, calendar year? Total compensation, as you said, Maria. It's very interesting when you look at your packaging. When I was younger, I got overwhelmed with the packages. I, <laughs> some companies have a great HR culture where they'll walk you through an orientation of all these things and say, this is how you do that. Sign up for this, sign up for that. But many companies just kind of, you get it in the mail or they give it to you in the folder and you're on your own to sit down with it. And if you come from a culture or your first generation in corporate, you could get very easily overwhelmed with all the options of enrolling. I mean, the healthcare part alone will have you dizzy between HMO, PPO, and this is me, my doctor's in or out of network. <laughs> so it can be, it can be a lot. So, so true about it being a very overwhelming experience, especially if you if you're new to the experience of, of benefits and um, packages. Sometimes you've been working a really long time and you come to that one organization where you're overloaded with all these different options. I think it's there's no shame in asking questions and get answers until you feel comfortable with what you're hearing until you feel like, okay, I'm starting to track a little bit. You don't have to be an expert, but you should feel a measure of, uh, I don't want to say comfort, but you should feel like, okay, I I think I know what I'm going to do for my situation. Because the other thing too is you mentioned with HR and this is not at all a knock on HR, but they have a little bit of an overwhelming job too in that they're trying to figure out how to offer something to the masses. They don't know your individual situation. They're just going to approximate in general, this should be the best set of options for you. And usually amongst the options that they're giving you, you can find something that will work well enough for your situation. But reach out. LinkedIn is now there. YouTube is now there. There's a variety of Reddits. There's a variety of places where you can post your questions or search for videos or uh, phone a friend or make a new friend <laughs> through LinkedIn. You know, reach out to us <laughs> at Tales of Corporate. And it'll be a little bit of a process, but figure out what's right for you. The other thing about total compensation is it's not, I know we're calling this long, this little bit of an extended tale, F you pay me. <laughs> However, comma, payment is not just about the 
literal dollar figures. It's also the balance of your time and your energy. Those are currencies. We live in a capitalist society in, in the Western world, and that's undebatable. However, comma, understand that you, and I don't care who you are, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you have a variety of types of capital. You have social capital. You have either friends or neighbors or people in your community, people in your family, someone or someones that are your capital. They can challenge you. They can support you. They can lift you up. They can be someone that you can help and you can pay it forward to. That is a capital into it itself. Social capital is is what you often hear of, it's all about who you know, or what, that is your social capital. And we all have the potential to grow it. One, two, your time is a type of capital. Okay, so there are some people who famously, if they sit with you for an hour, you know, they'll invoice you for $100 or $1,000. That's because time is a currency. It is a form of capital. Your skills are a form of capital. So, and I can go on and on, your talents. I can go on and on about that, but to think of capital or your compensation or your currency as only monetary, you'll be missing some things that some of the best and the brightest, they're, they're, they're tapped into. So might as well start to embrace that as you think about your compensation. Remember to always advocate for yourself because if you don't, no one else will. And to the listeners that have been overlooked, have overstayed, are complacent, or just plain unhappy, free yourself. Good luck and Godspeed till the next episode. Remember to download, follow, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please feel free to leave us a review.